So uh, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. If you could turn there, we're just going to read a few verses, 11 through 14. I'm actually going to have you read this with me. So you might be getting there in your Bible on your device. But I would love it if you read this uh, with me here from Romans 10 from the screen. Can we just read this together? As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So when we started this series, uh, we wanted to spend a few weeks just talking about God's posture towards our unbelieving friends. We spent a few weeks talking about his compassion. All mission really has to be rooted in his love. We can't do mission with our unbelieving friends out of guilt um, out of trying to accomplish something on our own. Um, those motivations might provo- pr- um, uh, cultivate some zeal at first, but it won't last. Um, it's only the love of God continuing to be poured into our hearts again and again um, that lets us live a lifestyle of being open with the love that God has poured into our hearts with our unbelieving friends. And then we talked about some really practical things. We talked about some phrases and terms that if you spend time at the Gospel tab, uh, you'll hear us talk about a lot in our relationships with unbelievers. Persons of peace, recognizing these individuals that God puts into our life who have a special openness to us in relationship, are willing to engage spiritual topics with us, and, and what it means to pay attention to where those people are popping up in our neighborhoods or in our schools or in our workplaces. Um, Mary talked to you about partying with unbelievers. It really was such a big part of how Jesus did ministry. He partied with people. Um, I'm down for that. That sounds great to me. And, and particularly, Jesus was always showing up at other people's parties. And this is a big part of what it means for us to be in relationship with unbelievers. We don't just invite them to our things and to our parties, even though that can be an act of love. We go to where they are rather than expecting them to be attracted to us. And some of what that means is that we show up at birthday parties and barbecues and places where people are holding their own things. I think one of the reasons a lot of our friends are not attracted to the gospel is because we're only willing to present them to the gospel in environments where we're the ones in charge, where we have the mic, where we get to set the agenda. It's an act of humility to show up in somebody else's space and to eat their food and to experience their agenda and all of that, just being friends with the people who are around us. Um, I can tell you, I didn't hear Mary's sermon last week here, but um, I can tell you that uh, over the years, 
when I get an invitation to an unbelieving friend's party, that goes to the top of my list. Like it's going to get higher on the list than most any church thing that I could show up to. I will not show up at church things to show up at my unbelieving friend's uh, birthday party. And I would say, you have permission at the gospel tab to be that same way, all right? If your unbelieving friends are inviting you to something that they are hosting, and there's a church thing here, pick that thing, okay? <laughs> and show up in their space. Um, it's an act of love and humility to do that. Today, I just want to reflect with you a bit out of Romans, this passage we just read to close this series out, on how it is our words and our mouths that Jesus uses to reveal himself to other people. It's really basic. My, my message isn't super complicated today. I do have a simple challenge for you. Um, but it is important for us to remember, especially in a church like ours, that's really committed to missional activity and to acts of mercy and justice. And these things are incredibly important. We have to be people of action in the world. And I think many of you model that really well. Um, but as much as we are that, I think we also have to remember that people don't know about Jesus unless someone tells them about Jesus in most instances. So there is a challenge for us today to take the step um, to open our mouths and to name the name of Jesus. Now, before we get into Romans 10 here, I actually want to go back to Romans chapter 1. I think I have a verse for you up here on the screen. In Romans 1, Paul is kind of introducing his thought process in this letter to the Romans. It's an incredibly rich book, and there's way more to know and learn about it than I'll ever be able to speak to today. But he makes this statement about how God has revealed himself in the world. He says, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, that is the creation, so that people are without excuse. Paul's, part of Paul's point here is that God is a self-revealing God. If you think about it, his invisible qualities, eternal power, divine nature, would not be available for us to see if God did not reveal himself to us. But this is part of God's disposition to bless his creation and part of why he created us. He made, him, he made it so that he revealed himself to us in a bunch of different ways. Here, Paul is talking about the creation. So trees and rocks and rivers and streams and thunderstorms and snowstorms and all of these things... God filled them with revelation. They somehow reveal something of what he's like to us. And part of Paul's point here is that this means that cultures all around the world who even don't have the scriptures, who don't have a Bible in front of them, do receive some of God's revelation just by what was made. Um, you know what this feels like, I'm sure. You see a thunderstorm, you experience a thunderstorm, and there's something transcendent about that experience. It's like, this shows us something of what God is like. And we find ourselves trying to put words to it, right? This thunderstorm reveals something to us about God. Now, Paul also says in Romans chapter 1 that because of the deceitfulness of the human heart, 
because of the sinfulness of the human heart, God's revelation in creation often draws people to himself, but then the heart creates idolatries out of that revelation. So part of what Paul says is that all throughout history, and we see this and it still happens today, people end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. We end up worshiping the thunderstorm instead of the, the God that the thunderstorm was meant to reveal, right? So it's part of the, the human condition that we get entangled into these idolatries that even, even our desire for God ends up leading us into these idolatries. But Paul's, part of Paul's point is also, though, that God is merciful and gracious, and that when human hearts begin to desire after God, he is very gracious to respond to that with more revelation throughout history and in our experience. I just mentioned, you know, the uh, Muslim celebration of Ramadan. Do you know that, like, some of our friends who are ministering in Muslim nations around the world, truly today, you may not realize it, but today the, the greatest uh, move of God among Muslims is happening on the earth today. Um, Iran is actually, we think, the fastest growing church on the face today, on the face of the earth today. Um, and so God is just doing an incredible work. And a lot of that work has been characterized by, by dreams. I'm going to tell you a story later in this sermon of people having these dreams and coming to faith in Christ. But you know what my friends will say who minister in places like Jordan and Senegal? Some of you are friends with those folks also that we're connected to here at the Gospel Tab. That the month of Ramadan, when Muslims are fasting and seeking after God as they understand him, um, is often the time when they see a spike in these dreams revealing Jesus. Um, and it's not even like they're seeking Jesus. They're just seeking a deeper revelation of God. And God recognizes, even in a religious system that does, that does not uh, you know, uh, recognize Jesus as the Son of God, God is merciful to respond to that fasting and to that seeking. And they'll see the spike in dreams and people have these like revelations of Jesus. This is way more controversial, and I wasn't planning on sharing it in a sermon, but what the heck. Um, so do you know, I was reading a history, this is a little bit of a tangent, I was reading a history on the Jesus People movement in the 60s and 70s. Are some of you familiar with that movement? All these hippies were coming to faith in Christ. So Chelsea and I just moved back into the community of celebration down on Franklin Avenue. They were part of that movement in the 60s and 70s, the revival that happened among hippies, right, in the United States. You want to hear something crazy? Do you know how that revival got started? People were tripping out on LSD, uh, out of a desire to seek God. They were trying to get more revelation, right? And so I wouldn't recommend doing it that way. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but they were trying to seek God in a deeper way, tripping out on LSD. And guess who started to show up in these LSD trips? Jesus. And so the beginnings of that revival actually happened in some of these, like people tripping out on drugs, but all of a sudden, Jesus is there. Why? Because Jesus is condoning LSD? No, no. It's because Jesus is merciful to something in the human heart that longs for him. When people begin to long for God and seek for God, he responds in really gracious ways. 
And Jesus is willing to show up in crazy places, in creation and in Ramadan and in uh, LSD trips to show his glory to people and to draw people to himself. That revival has forever shaped American history, forever shaped our church. Um, And that's how it got started, right? So Jesus will work in, in these crazy ways. However, Paul makes a statement in Romans 1.20 also about the limits of this kind of revelation. Um, the sum of it, if you read the rest of Romans 1, is that it's enough to draw people, like the revelation that's in creation is enough to draw people to God, and it's enough to leave them without excuse. That is, it is enough to leave people with a choice to make about the one true God and His Son, Jesus. Um, But there are limits to this revelation, and here's what it is. The fullest revelation that we have of who God is isn't a thunderstorm. And it's not, you know, a a landscape with mountains, and it's not a flowing stream, as much as those things point to God. The clearest revelation we have, by the way, the clearest revelation we have of God isn't even this book. As much as this book is revelated throughout history, God revealed himself not only in creation, but in written words. As people were inspired by the Holy Spirit, they were moved to write words down over hundreds of years. We treasure these words because they're revelation about God. But even this isn't the clearest revelation of who God is. The clearest revelation of who God is is a person, and his name is Jesus. So much so, we've said this at other times here at the Gospel Tab, that if we ever interpret this book in a way that leads us to believe that God is somehow unchristlike, then we have interpreted this book wrong. Because there is no unchristlikeness in God. He is the clearest revelation of who we have. If we somehow interpret verses in here to make God seem not like Jesus... It's a sure test that we've interpreted this wrong. The clearest revelation we have is Jesus in his miracles, in his deliverance, in his sacrifice on the cross. This is what God is like. And our understanding of even other parts of scriptures, for instance, when it seems that God is leading his people into war or condoning violence, there's really hard things in this book. But somehow we have to understand those hard passages in light of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the real revelation of God. We treasure this book because this book is Jesus' story. right? We treasure this book because Jesus is the revelation of God. And this book, from beginning to end, records his story for us. That's why we love this book. right? Um, And so, if Jesus is the clearest revelation of who God is, not a thunderstorm, it means that we can't leave people to just watch thunderstorms. And to get stirred up and to feel some kind of transcendent experience and to think that that is enough for them to be led to the person of Jesus. Specific revelation is found in him. And it is him that we talk about. It is him that we point people to. It is him that we preach about. And Paul tells us in Romans 10 that God's normal mode of telling the world about Jesus is to use us. Certainly our lives, our lives hopefully reveal something about who Jesus is, 
But Paul says something more specific in Romans chapter 10. He says, how can they hear? How can they know without a preacher? And I don't know if you've like thought of yourselves as a preacher, but in the very basic sense, Paul is just saying, how are people going to know unless we tell them? Unless we open our mouths and say something about Jesus. If Jesus is the clearest revelation, then how are they going to know? And friends, I don't know if you know this, um, there's a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that really are out of touch with unbelievers. Christians have a way of being very insular. And we fill our church calendar with all this stuff, and we just hang around each other all the time, and we know how to talk and dress and do all the church things. Christians are like notorious, right, for doing this. But if you're in relationship with unbelievers, then you probably know what I know. And it's that all around us are people who do not know. I cannot emphasize this enough. How many times over the years I have built friendships with unbelievers and started talking about Jesus and how many times I've gotten the comment from people that nobody ever told them this. Um, Nobody ever said it to them. I, I remember one time being at dinner with someone. It was uh, me and another believing friend and an unbelieving friend. And this person saying that they had lived their whole life in Beaver County, here. And they had never had one meaningful relationship with a Christian. We were the first. They had literally been raised and now are, you know, in their 20s. They, they said, I've never been friends with a Christian. Like, I hear people go to church and stuff. Raised here in Beaver County. Some of that is because, I don't know if you know, like, the state of things. The last statistic I saw when a study was done, a county-by-county study was done, and this was years ago, so I bet it's even less. You know, in Beaver County, the last statistic I saw was 11% of people are in church on a Sunday morning. Um, And most of those people are really aging in Beaver County. I don't know if you've noticed how many churches are closing in our valley. In the next 10 years, it's going to be even more in the Beaver Valley. So many churches barely hanging on. This is just the cultural moment we can find ourselves in. And there's a lot, there's a lot I could say about that. But the effect of it is that people just don't know unless someone tells them, right, about Jesus. This is why it matters to me that we find ways to multiply missions so that people have access to the message of Jesus in whatever neighborhood they live in in whatever town they live in. It's why our church can't be just about how many people we gather in a room. It has to be about how many people we can send, how many gospel expressions we can plant, how, many, how much access we can give to people in their own neighborhoods, in their own workplaces, to the message of Jesus. It's why we spend a lot of time praying around that and strategizing it. It's why... The Gospel Tabernacle is so passionate about global missions because if gospel access is an issue here in Beaver County, imagine places in the world where people can live and die. My friend in Beaver County, many years she didn't know a Christian, but eventually she did run into somebody, right? But imagine living your whole life from birth to death and having general revelation, but never meeting one person who knew anything about Jesus. Our family of churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we aren't serving in the places in the world 
where there's already gospel access. You know, a few years ago, it was a big deal in the Alliance. Um, we really recalibrated and pulled almost all of our missionaries out of South America. And why? Because there's access. There's now, after years of missionary work, there is now gospel access in South America. There's other places in the world where there's no access. Whole communities who don't have anybody. Um, And so we're passionate about that. We're going to figure out how to get people to those places where an unbeliever can form a friendship with a believer who can tell them about Jesus. One time I was in one of those places with some of you in this room in a place where there was little to no gospel access. It was this little village in Senegal, West Africa. And the Alliance workers who took us there, as far as they knew, uh, for many, many years, there had been no Christians in this village at all. And they kept calling it a village, but when we pulled up, like, it would make Aliquippa look like the smallest town ever, you know? Like, this place was really populated, and lots of young people, and lots of activity, and as far as they knew for many, many years, no Christians. But they did want us to see a guy who was planting a church there, so our van pulled up on this this uh, street corner, and this guy got into the van, and I was trying to recollect the details of the story as much as possible this morning. I think some of it is fuzzy in my mind, but I don't think I'm exaggerating any of it. He got in the van and basically told us this story about how one night he had a dream. Muslim guy, no Christians in his village, no one to name the name of Jesus to him. And he has a dream one night. Jesus appears to him in the dream. He knew it was Jesus because Jesus identified himself in the dream. Good thing, because that would be confusing. So Jesus identifies himself in the dream and says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sounds like Jesus. And he, there's this blinding light, and he wakes up. He's lived in a place and a culture where, you know, no one has ever you know, told him about Jesus. He tells his wife. His wife is like, no, that's bad. Um, so we need to go see like the shaman, like the witch doctor in their town, and he needs to say something. You know, overuse this doesn't happen again. So he goes to the witch doctor, shaman. And, um, and by the way, every culture has their own version of shamanism, the things we turn to, you know, for power and stuff aside from Jesus. And so... Uh, so he goes and the shaman does whatever the shaman does and he has this dream again and Jesus shows up you know with this blinding light I am the way the truth and the life and this time the his wife is really upset and she's like we need to go back to the shaman they go to the shaman again the shaman this time like it's like you need to eat this chicken that I'm going to prepare for you you need to like does all these things these rituals And this time, Jesus shows up with an even stronger presence, third dream, and basically tells the guy, like, stop that, you know, (laughs) like, um, because it's me. And this guy became a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know his backstory, and we were hearing this story translated to us. I don't know what was stirring in his heart in prayer when he went to the mosque. I don't know how observant or not he was of Ramadan and how much something was stirring in him for an encounter with God. All I know is that God responded to something that was happening in that man's heart and gave him specific revelation about Jesus. Now, that's a kind of unusual story because Jesus just did it directly. 
And Jesus does do those kinds of things. I should point out that by the time we met this guy, he took us into a building where he's planning on uh, planting a church. And um, he's gathered some believers. Hard story. His wife left him. Um, after his conversion, um, and he was just ostracized, you know, by his relationships. Um, but by the time we met him, Jesus had restored his marriage. His family had come to faith as well. Um, there was a church that, you know, was beginning to gather, and we got to pray in that church. I was thinking about, I was like, I wonder what happened. That was 2019. Like, I wonder what happened to that little space that we were praying in, and praying for this small, simple group of believers that were beginning to gather and, and seek after Jesus together. But even that guy's story, as unusual as it is, uh, God eventually did connect him with other Christians, that's why we were meeting him. It turned out that the Christian Missionary Alliance had sent some workers in a town that was within driving distance. And somehow he got connected with them and they did open their mouths and tell him more about Jesus. Because that is normally the way God works. Even in the scriptures. Even, you remember that story when Paul, you know, vision of Jesus, blinding light, that's how his conversion happened. Even though Jesus worked directly with Paul there, if you remember, he sent a believer named Ananias to come and link up with Paul and to open up his mouth and tell Paul about Jesus. God wants to do this thing with us. That's why he created us. And so it's his normal mode to do it that way. I don't know if you've had the privilege of having this experience yet, but one of my favorite things is to discover that Jesus has already been working in the life of one of my unbelieving friends. And when I open my mouth to say something about Jesus, there's something in them that's like, yeah, that's him. That guy. Like, I didn't have the words for it. I didn't know who he was, but I knew something was moving in my life. I knew that something was happening. See, a lot of what we end up being is just listeners and interpreters. If, if we listen to what Paul says here, you know, how will they hear without a preacher? And we imagine that as us coming in with a mic and being strong and powerful and dominating the conversation. I think we're missing what it most often looks like. What it most often looks like is, first of all, listening to our unbelieving friends, hearing them report or us pointing out the movements of God in their life, and then at the right time saying to the person, have you ever considered that this person that you're experiencing in your life is Jesus? I wasn't planning on sharing this, but Jake was just telling our our leadership team about a guy who he got to lead to the Lord about a year ago and has been discipling since in one of our deeper life groups. But the first time Jake and I hung out with this guy, he had been homeless for a couple years and we were eating pizza with him right outside here on the steps. I don't remember how that got set up, but we were eating pizza with him out here. And he's like telling us he doesn't like really believe in God and he has issues, you know, with the church and Jesus and it's just not his thing and all of this. And some of it's just because of the pain in his life. He'd been estranged from family. He'd been homeless, all of these things. And the enemy always wants to interpret our pain to mean that God doesn't love us. And so it was clear that he had, you know, been experiencing that. But I'm just listening to his story, and I'm like, man, this guy should be dead. You know? Like, terrible things have happened in this dude's life. Awful things. He's been abandoned. Just such a bad story. 
This guy really should be dead, and he's not dead. So I'm listening to him, and I knew he couldn't see it, but I just asked him a question. Have you ever thought that maybe, like, that was God keeping you alive? And you could see, see him. I, and this is what I mean. No one had ever said it to him, right? And he was just like, oh, yeah, maybe. And I said, man, I wouldn't just challenge you to think, maybe that was Jesus, Maybe. You know, just think about it. Well, we hung out with him a few times more, and then we, uh, we hadn't seen him for like almost a year, right, Jake? It had been a long time, but had been praying for him. And then somehow we linked up again, and we get in the car with him. And this guy is talking like he believes in Jesus, and not Jesus, like God, as like in, a, in a, an assumption kind of way. He's like, well, yeah, God did this, God. So I'm like... What happened? And Jake pointed out to him. He said, hey, you're talking way different. You know, like, what is this talk about God? And she's like, what's happening? And God was responding to something in his heart and in his pain, right? And revealing himself to him more and more. And that afternoon, I got to be there to witness it. We sat with that guy on the steps of a closed-down church, deeply prophetic, on the steps of a closed-down church in a town in the Beaver Valley, and Jake led him to the Lord and has been discipling him since. And friends, that's exactly what mission will look like in the Beaver Valley moving forward. In the shadow, on the steps of a lot of our closed-down churches, God needs people who will just open their mouth and say something. So here's my challenge, and then I'm going to close in a, in a particular way. My one challenge to you to the, is this, and I can just acknowledge a weakness of the gospel tab. I think one thing that's missing in our discipleship pathway is, is a, a model or two that we could give you to help you tell the story of Jesus to other people. Um, I don't think we've identified that, and I think some of us, here's why, Uh, Some of us are kind of burnt out on models with evangelism, and we needed to grow in the relational side of it, just be friends with unbelievers, party with unbelievers, all that. But we've been doing that for years now, and I think some of you are now asking, um, okay, when it comes time for me to tell someone about Jesus, how do I do that? That's a good question. And if our role as church leaders is to help equip you, we should hear that question and figure out how to equip you. And so I think that's something to be solved in the next year or so. Um, But forget about telling people about the whole story. Um, Can I just give you one challenge I have up on the screen here? It's just to say the name of Jesus around your unbelieving friends. Um, And I would say Jesus, not just God, because Jesus is the revelation of the one true God. So I think there's something about saying his name. I'm I'm not going to get too far off on this, but there's other things about saying his name. Try this, do it long enough, and you'll notice that sometimes saying his name changes the spiritual atmosphere of a conversation or a room. Sometimes it draws out things that demons are doing in people just by saying his name. Pay attention, and you'll see some of that start to happen. Um, but I actually learned this from Michael and Brooke a long time ago. I think they learned it from someone else. That one of the best things we can do about our, with our unbelieving friends is just to talk to them like we talk to our believing friends. Which is to say, just be yourself. So, uh, Chelsea and I in our story, uh, we have this really cool story. I'm not going to get into it, but we have this really cool story a few years ago where God provided a car for us. 
All right, it's the little light blue Civic that I, that I drive around. We really need a car, didn't have a car. Someone calls us up and says, God told me to buy a car for you. Crazy story. Well, if I get into a conversation with my unbelieving friends about my car, and they're like, how did you get that car? Where'd you get that car? No one's asking that anymore, by the way. It's a 2012, you know, um, <laughs> that people used to ask more. But if somehow my car opened up, you know, a conversation about Jesus, and I, it's my unbelieving friend, I better tell them what actually happened there, which was that Chelsea and I prayed to a person named Jesus, and Jesus gave us this car. Why would I conceal that from one of my unbelieving friends? Why would I make it sound like something else happened when that's not what happened? Jesus provided this car. If you got healed and your unbelieving friends notice, why would we not say that it was Jesus that did it? Why would we conceal that from them? Jesus is revealing what he's like, so we just talk about Jesus. And I think it's a beautiful thing about us as a Gospel Tab family. We talk about Jesus a lot. As a matter of fact, it's a hallmark of dead religion and dead churches that dead religion and dead churches don't talk about Jesus much. They just talk about church a lot. Pay attention to how dead religion talks. It doesn't talk about Jesus very much. It will talk about church activities and the potluck and the rummage sale and all those things. But it won't talk about Jesus, right? It's a mark of, of people that have been enlivened by the Spirit that they talk about Jesus. That they want to talk about Him, that His name is on their lips. And I would just say, don't shut that down when you're around your unbelieving friends. Find a way just to say His name. And don't worry about answering everyone's questions or knowing how to tell His story from beginning to end. Or, like, the more you can not worry about that stuff, the better you'll be because your unbelieving friends will actually find it winsome when you don't have all the answers. They'll actually find it... Uh, attractive, that you find Jesus mysterious, and that you don't know everything about his story either, and that you're still learning about him, that will be attractive to people. I don't think it's attractive when we come off as knowing everything. It's okay to not know things with your unbelieving friends, but my, my encouragement to you is just to say his name. It got me thinking, Jake, if you could come up, it got me thinking that um, I think if naming the name of Jesus is one of the sure signs, if the, if the name of Jesus being heavy on our lips is one of the signs of a community of people that's experiencing renewal and mission, um, it makes me think that this whole thing about unbelievers really starts in worship. It's like, man, we talk about the things we care about, all of us in this room. Whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you find the places to talk about the things that you care about. If, you, if your grandkids are really super important to you, and I hope they are, you talk about them, right, with people. Um, if a vacation was really cool and you enjoyed it and you had fun with your family, you talk about that with people. We all talk about the food that we like and the sports that we watch and this stuff flows out of our mouth not because it's not coming from a place of guilt. It's coming from a place of delight in these things. And we naturally do evangelism with the things that we delight in. And I've learned this. The more I delight in Jesus, the more his name is on my lips. With believers and unbelievers alike, I'm going to say his name 
because I've taken my delight in him. I'm going to open my mouth at work. I'm going to open my mouth in my neighborhood. I'm going to open my mouth. If it's guilt-driven for you, um, you'll sputter out real fast. The best thing we can do is delight in Jesus and become so filled with his delight that we share it with other people, right? So um, we have 10 minutes left in this service. And Jake, I would love it if we could sing Jesus' name, um, some song that has his name in it. Um, And let's just delight ourselves in the name of Jesus. This name that's been given to us, there is no other name under heaven. Stand to your feet. There is no other name under heaven given to us by which we can be saved, right? Um, In a few minutes, I'll create a pause because I want to be sensitive to our children's workers downstairs, but we might just linger some too. Um, But at least for the next few minutes, let's just delight ourselves in this name that's been given to us. Let's sing.